Hello and welcome to So You Think You Can Rule Persia, the podcast where we write and review all the kings of Persia from Diochis to Yazdegerd III. I'm Serial and my pronouns are they them. And I'm Umberto and my pronouns are he him. Hello everybody and welcome at long last to episode 50. We made Woo! it. Wow. 50. <laughs> Half of 100, twice 25. Confetti cannon. It's a good number. Wee. Yay. And yeah, today we'll be covering Vardanis the First, who is the son of Artabanus the Third, and we get to see did the reforms of his father fix everything? Are things still broken? Will Vardanis break things? Will Vardanis perfect everything? That mm, is a hard doubt. <laughs> there are many things that need to be addressed, and we'll we'll see if Vardanis is quite the right man to address them all. So that should be interesting. Yeah, so I guess we can just do a quick recap of what happened last episode and then get right in. So last episode, Artabanus III was the last in a long line of short-lived rulers. He managed to sort of reclaim the empire, rule for a nice 20 or 30 years, which was a convenient time. And in that time, he tried to centralize power, remove power from the Greek city-states, give it more to the Jewish people who lived in these cities, make sure that there was more uh, royal strength around. He also started appointing a lot of Arsacid princes to the vassal kingdoms of the empire to make sure that everything was kept a lot more stable. He then had a war over Armenia. That went so-so. Armenia is now semi-neutral between Rome and Parthia, but... It's still a bit off. Mm. He also then, however, fought a pretty devastating civil war with Tiridates, which wasn't great. That ended up with some sort of peace treaty with Rome where Artabanus had to hand over his son to the Romans. Although we won't hear from the son again, so who knows what happens. He traveled home to Caligula, so that might be it, but mm -hmm. we'll see. And yeah, then Artabanus was overthrown once more at the end of his reign, but managed to quickly regain the throne through diplomacy after his friend Izates of Adiabene helped him out, and uh, that all worked out. And now finally, Artabanus is dead, and we get to see what happens to the kingdom after him. So let's see if it all goes to hell. Okay, so to start, Vardanis is one of the sons of Artabanus III. He was presumably born sometimes around the turn of the millennium, so be between the BC and AD split. So he was probably not born as a prince. He was born as a, uh, you know, as the son of a vassal king, so before Artabanus became king of kings. Mm -hmm. So that's quite nice. He was probably eventually thrust into positions of greater and greater power when his father became the supreme ruler. But then we don't really hear much about him in detail. It's just he shows up when his father dies. And in 38, at the death of Artabanus, we find that Vardanis was officially considered as the first heir to the throne. He was enthroned quickly and managed to take power. But then his place was immediately taken by a man called Gatarzes II. Who is Gatarzes? Well, Gatarzes is... An adopted son of Artabanus III, 
So he's Vardani's stepbrother, stepbrother, adopted brother, adopted brother. Sure. Yes, that's <laughs> whatever that. you say. I don't know if there's a specific term for it, but there we go. The adopted brother of Vardani's. And the thing is that Gatarzes takes the throne immediately, chasing away his uh, more legitimate heir, Vardanis, who is forced to flee to the east of the empire and try and gather some support. At the same time, Gatarzes killed one of Vardanis' brothers, called Artabanus, together with all his family. So that wasn't great. So as we saw, there's been a bit of a problematic succession in the west Gatarzes is ruling, while in the east... Vardanis has escaped to try and find some support among the nobles there, which are the traditional nobles that supported his father, so that might be good. But, well, what happens to every Parthian king who tries to rule for more than five seconds? Well, it hasn't been great lately. No. There are two things that can happen to a king of Parthia. One of them is something happens in Armenia, and that is not this case. Hmm. The second thing that happens to them is a bunch of nobles get annoyed at their choice and decide that, no, we'd rather have the other guy. Yeah. 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 So the Western nobles are dissatisfied with the rule of Gatarzes, officially due to his cruelty, but it could just be that politics was going on and they got annoyed. So they called Vardanis back from the east and said, hey, take your adopted brother's place. You should be our king of kings. We can exile him. You can actually rule. So that's nice. And Tacitus tells us that Vardanis rode for about 500 kilometers in two days to reach Babylon, Mm -hmm. where he was crowned, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. So it's probably that it was just him and a couple of bodyguards that just made this journey and he didn't have an army. So presumably the noble support he had in Mesopotamia was strong enough that he didn't have to worry about all that. Or he was just foolhardy enough that he had to take this opportunity and not let it pass him by. And, well, the plan worked well enough because Vardanis rode so quickly to Mesopotamia that Gatarzes didn't expect him there. And so didn't really manage to prepare any resistance or defend any cities. So he had to flee east, basically switching places. And Gatarzes went over to the nomadic people of the east to try and find some support among them. So that would be a bit of a thorn in Vardani's side for a while. Okay, but now he's king of kings. He is properly ruling. It's not the half rule he had before, which was splitting the empire with his brother. What are the most pressing issues in the empire? Well, one of the issues that we've noticed is that the city of Seleucia on the Tigris, which is the twin of Tessiphon, the capital, had been in rebellion since 35, under the reign of Artabanus III, because they were a strongly Greek city, which was unhappy about having their privileges revoked, and they decided, sure, let's try being independent, let's see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Also, since Seleucia controls one of the largest mints in the empire, it was kind of important for anybody who claims to be a legitimate king to get that mint so you can print all the coins with your face on them otherwise how will people know that you're king yeah no of course you need to you know this is like the stamp of approval yeah basically it's literally a stamp that they do put on coins to show <laughs> hey this guy is king what okay, are you even doing if you. your face isn't on a coin i mean come on 
So at this point, Vardanis lays siege to Seleucia, and he uses the nearby city of Tessaphon as his base of operations, and this basically consolidates it as the royal capital. Before it was there in Akbatana and up and down, it was unclear. Now this is like fully consecrated as the capital of the empire. So much so that later on he will be credited as the founder of the city, because, well, he's the one that spent most time there and emphasized its importance. Hmm. So Seleucia is under siege, but then along comes Jessica with a letter from the east. And it says, hey, Gatarzes, your brother, has gathered support of the Dahe nomads and the Hyrcanians, which are the people that live south of the Caspian Sea, and he is marching against you to try and reclaim the throne. So Vardanis sighs, has to give up the siege of Seleucia, leave them independent again, and just march east to try and face his brother and crush him at last. So what happens is that Vardanis manages to march east, and he doesn't find any resistance for a while. He marches through Hyrcania, the land that supports Gatarzes. No resistance. He marches all the way to Bactria in the far east of the empire, and there he meets Gatarzes' forces. He probably decided to meet them there because there are a lot of Saka people there and a lot of maybe Indo-Parthians who might be supporting Gatarzes in the area. And so they gather around for a final showdown so the two brothers can finally decide who's going to be in charge. It's at this point that both of them get a secret letter. Oh, fun. Secret letters are always nice. Does Jessica also deliver the secret mail or is it a different... Jessica delivers the secret mail but wears a mask at the same time. Just oh, I see. It's secret. Just so nobody knows it's Jessica. So, yeah, Oops. she's um, Jessie. Yes, Jesse. <laughs> so Jesse delivers a letter to both of them, and it says, Hey guys, anonymous letter person here, you should really be careful because it looks like the nobles are going to overthrow whoever wins this battle, so you should probably not fight. <coughs> the nobles are being annoying, so Turns out your common enemy chill. is the nobles. Yes. You should fight the nobles, not each other. You know what? I, yeah... <laughs> I, I support this. Because apparently they had another candidate who was possibly another descendant of Frates IV. The dynasty is still messed up from when Musa came through. So, in the end, what do the two brothers decide? They think, okay, how about we just co-rule the empire? How does that sound? Vardanis, since he owns most of the empire, will be the overlord. <laughs> and Gatarzes can hold on to Hyrcania, where most of his supporters are, and he can also just control some of the vassal kings who are on his side, who are helping him out. It's mostly the eastern vassal kings. So that's quite nice, and yeah, the empire is fracturing a little bit, because now we have a western half and an eastern half, which they're not fully formally separated. You know, officially, Gatarzes is still a vassal of his brother. But practically, he can do pretty much whatever he wants. Mm. So it's split, but not really. It's a half and a half. It's also worth noticing that this split is not great for the Empire, because a lot of the vassal kings in the east, so there is the Indo-Parthians and the Kushan kingdoms, which are a people who live uh, just across the Hindu Kush mountains, 
and will be more and more important. These people, who were formerly part of the Parthian Empire, now were sort of going on their own, because, you know, they decide not to really vouch for either of the brothers, mm -hmm. and they say, okay, if you're going to argue, we're just going to be impartial, and hey, if that means we're independent, cool, good yeah. for us. But there's still a problem, of course, because Seleucia is still in revolt, and it's been seven years, you guys. No, seriously, this problem needs to be fixed. The heart of our empire is revolting. We should probably fix this. You know, maybe. Yeah, so Vardanis just stares at his brother and says, don't try anything while I'm away. Seriously, we made a deal. Don't. You know the nobles will try and overthrow us both, so don't do this. And Vardanis marches all the way west and makes Tezaphon his headquarters once again and besieges Seleucia in June of 42. He besieges the city, but it looks like the city council of Seleucia sees the way the wind is blowing. They realize that, okay, they can't be an independent city-state in the middle of an empire forever. That's going to be complicated, so they decide to negotiate with Vardanis. And in their negotiations, we're not really sure what the details are, but apparently they manage to gather enough of their old rights back that they accept Vardanis back into the city. So they open their gates and hooray, Seleucia's back in the empire. You know, it has more independence than it had before, but at least we have the mint. We can print our precious coins with our faces on them. Yay. So, hooray. nice. Hurrah. But as we saw last time, the problem that has been uh, simmering is the relationship between the Jewish population and the Greek population. Right. Because yes. we'd had a minor genocide before we tend not to like those in our empires, please. Yeah, yeah, not cool. So Vardanis decides to tour the satrapies and try and sort out all these problems. He goes all the way through Mesopotamia and he talks with the leaders of the Jewish factions and the Greek factions and he tries to get everybody to, you know, use their words and not their genocides and say, <laughs> hey, what is your problem with these people? Can we make a compromise? Does this work? Would you be willing to give them some amount of power? Okay, good. And miraculously enough, it turns out that everybody just sort of agrees and says, okay, fair enough. We can just share power. It'll be fine. And as a bonus, thank you, your highness, for brokering this deal. You get to have some more for power mediating, now. yeah. Yeah. Wait, so that worked? Just being like, yeah, hey guys, can we be nice to each other? Oh, yeah, just going uh, to everybody okay. and talking to them and saying, Greeks, you went a bit overboard with the genocide. Yes, mom, we did. Okay. That sort of thing. And turns out that it worked. And they said, okay, we'll try not to kill these people anymore. We can share some of our power with them and we'll probably all do better because of it. And it's also positive that Vardanis kept up a lot of Artabanus' policies of consolidating the empire and strengthening royal authority compared to the nobles. So that's always great. It's nice because, you know, we're getting further away from a world where the nobles can replace the king every five seconds. Indeed. So that's neat. We also get an interesting source about Vardanis from the life of Apollonius of Tiana who was a Pythagorean philosopher from Pythagoras and was also a part-time miracle worker. 
Yeah, you know, as you do, as a philosopher. Who was on his way to India and was traveling to Babylon in the meantime. And as he gets there, he was presented at court and was, you know, shown the king and the might and the power of the empire and all that. You know, he wanted to impress the voyager so he will tell the people he meets how great your empire is. Mm -hmm. But apparently Apollonius was such a philosopher and was so unimpressed in his little philosophical mind palace (laughs) that he didn't really recognize any of the luxury. He didn't make any comments or notice anything. But he just kept talking with his assistant about the poetry of Sappho's girlfriends. So that was fun. I mean, we love a good lesbian supporter. Yeah, exactly. That is very funny. Apparently, Vardanis was not offended. Vardanis was very Vardanis was like, yeah, you're right, actually, that poetry is amazing. It's good poetry. Vardanis was fluent in Greek and was just generously giving gifts to him, saying, okay, fair enough, I see you're a man of culture as well. Mm. Here, have some gifts. Have fun in India. Bye-bye. Okay, not too bad. Yeah, so that's a fun source about stuff going on at court. But, Serial, we haven't talked about one thing in five minutes. Oh my god, is it going to be Armenia? Yes, it's Armenia. Of course it's Armenia. What's the news in Armenia? It's Caligula's fault this time. Oh, <laughs> right. We are up to. Up yes, to we're his up to Caligula's right episode. Yeah. Oof. Yes. So Caligula decided to recall the Roman appointed king of Armenia. In his infinite wisdom. Yes, and not appoint a successor. So the, Armenia yeah. has no king. Great. Is it our turn? Eh? Well, Vardanis eh? thinks. I guess there's no king. The Romans aren't appointing one. I guess we'll put one on. And Vardanis chooses the man with the best name ever to be king of Armenia. This man was called Demonax. <gasps> oh my god. This <laughs> feels like a, like a Dungeons and Dragons. Dragon. Yes. yes. Demonax? Demonax, yes. Like it's the great. axe of a the demon? Yes. Demonax. Yes, Demonax. Wow. That it's is very amazing. Cool. I love, I love the name. This. It's great. I don't know why more kings don't have the name Demonax, but yeah. he tried. Well, I guess it didn't really mean that, right? No, it did so, not mean that, you know, but maybe, still. Maybe it wasn't that interesting. Yeah, maybe they the d- didn't realize how cool it actually was as a name. But yeah, there we go. So Demonax rules Armenia for a while, but then, as we know, spoiler alert, Caligula is overthrown and succeeded by Claudius. Yeah, true. Poor old Uncle Claudius. And Claudius then looks at the map and says, wait, weren't what we supposed f- to be in charge of Armenia? What, <laughs> what happened here? there? Wait, you you recalled the king but didn't appoint a new one? What's going on? And the guy's called Demonax? Wait, this has to be stopped. <laughs> we can't have that. It's way yes, too cool. It's too cool to live. We just need to replace him, please. Wait, so we put Demonax in power? Yes, Demonax yeah, is we have the Parthian taste. candidate. Because, yeah, of course. Amazing. Was he, like, decent? He seems to be, you know, ruling fine. Okay. Nobody overthrows him, so that's nice. good. Presumably, you know. Then maybe the know. Romans should have kept their hands to themselves. Yeah, but the Romans don't. Claudius sends several legions together with the previous king of Armenia, the one that Caligula recalled, to try <laughs> and get back the kingdom. Saying, sorry about the whole kingdom thing. Please, 
enjoy a few complimentary legions. Have fun. And yeah, unfortunately for the best name, Demonax is defeated by this old king and flees to Parthia asking Vardanis for help. Okay. So Vardanis goes around in his uh, provinces trying to gather support for a campaign to invade Armenia and place Demonax back on the throne. But he has a bit of a sore spot. He goes to the king of Adiabene, this Izatis who had uh, saved the throne of Artabanus in his later years. Mm-hmm. And he finds that the Izatis, the king of Adiabene, is opposed to this campaign and won't give his armies to Vardanis to fight with. This is probably because, since he was a Jewish man, he had sent his wife and children to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And that meant that they were all under Roman control, so they could be kept as hostages in case a war broke out. So he's thinking, I'd rather not have my family be kept hostage. Do you mind not doing the war, please? Can we skip the war? Well, so Vardanis is quite annoyed by all this, and he declares war on his vassal. He says, I gave you an order, you're meant to be my vassal. How dare you, yeah. What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. So he attacks his Atis and begins this invasion of the area. But this catches the attention of the Romans, who talk to the governor of Syria. And the governor of Syria sends some uh, soldiers along the border of the Euphrates just to make some threatening noises and say, hey, maybe you really shouldn't prepare this expedition. This is going to be a very big war. We haven't had an official war between Parthia and Rome since the time Mark Antony came by. It's all been proxy wars so far, so maybe don't push it. Mm -hmm. Now, Serial, another classic blunder happens. Can you guess which it is? Still in the same area? In the Empire in general. Is it Egypt? I'm still waiting for Egypt to do something, <laughs> to rebel. No, Egypt to, is know. fine. Egypt, I, I'm like, Egypt. we haven't talked about Egypt in so long. Um, no. Egypt is tired. It's a Roman province. They're not going to rebel. They're chill. Well. Who hasn't been annoying in exactly five seconds? We've heard from them throughout the episode for several times. They've been terrible. Well, I was just going to say we're going to have Rome put their hands where they shouldn't. But like, they're already doing they that. They already have, so. yeah. Well, it's the nobles, Serial. The nobles are back. Oh, yeah, well, no, I wasn't even... Oh, my God. I wasn't even <laughs> thinking of them. I was like, we agreed we were going to go against the nobles, right? Yes. Vardanis was also not thinking of them. He thought, wait, I thought we sorted this out. Yeah. Why do I have to worry about this now? What's going on? Yeah, Dude, same. guys, I thought we were cool. Because the eastern nobles see everything in the west as a sign of weakness by Vardanis. He's lost his vassal king of Armenia. A vassal has openly defied him and he hasn't been able to put it down. This is the correct moment Bro, to overthrow him. Can we just keep a king for like two seconds? No. no, it's too complicated. Like, why do you even care? It's not better if we have no king. But they decide we'll just pick a new king. This new king is going to work great. I feel like they have a gambling problem. They definitely have a gambling problem. Like, they I see how something the nobles pans out, and then sport. they're like, okay, it's no longer interesting. Yeah, they're just always running after that adrenaline high, trying to yeah, find like, it something. doesn't matter if it goes well or not. They're like, oh, okay, yeah. well, now we know. Next thing. 
Yeah, I'm not busy this weekend. Do you want to overthrow the king? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Also, by the way, since Vardanis had been continuing his father's centralizing policies, the nobles are also kind of annoyed that they're losing their power as time goes on. Mm. But yeah, so the nobles call upon Gatarzes, our old mm. brother nemesis, who was kind of ruling the East anyway. Yeah. The nobles say, okay, if you support the aristocracy, we'll make you king. And you get to rule the whole empire instead of your brother. How does that sound? That sounds excellent. Love it. So, Gatarzes gathered an army and headed west, where he met Vardanis in Hyrcania, so about the core of the empire. But Gatarzes, the usurper, was defeated multiple times and was being pushed further and further east as time went on. He was pushed so far east that Vardanis' soldiers stopped going further because they were so far from home they just thought they like, wanted to go home for, yeah for the reaping season and they just said yeah no this isn't worth it we won a few battles he's probably going to give up any time so let's just go back home fair if you actually want to make it back home yeah at some point you have to just you know yeah alexander the great taught us that eventually yeah. your men will decide that going further east is not worth it yeah but the problem with this is that that means that Gatarzes can regain some of his support and the Civil War will continue on for three more years. Oh, how fun. Lots of death and destruction all across the center of the Empire, which, you know, is only going to the benefit of the nobles because they don't have a strong king, or Rome because they don't have a strong rival in their east. So, not great. I hate this so much. Yes. So does somebody who is alive right now, but will solve the issue in a few years. Fortune. Hmm. But yeah, one faithful day, Vardanis ends up going on a lovely hunt. Oh boy. Next to Warzone. You know, it happens. Yeah, like you do. And there, one time, there is an unfortunate, terrible accident where all of his nobles shoot him with arrows and he oh, dies. Oh no! What an accident. Oh, yes. my My bow shot itself. Yes, my bow just went off. I didn't have the safety on. Yes. Yeah. And this is all probably due to Gatarzes finally managing to bribe the nobles on his brother's side to bring him to the throne, making mm. him now the sole ruler of the empire. Let's see if he'll keep his promises to the nobles. Well. We'll see. I was going to say, like, oh, we'll either he works. does or there's no future for him. But, like, it doesn't matter. If he does. Because the nobles might as well just be like, Hey, you know, I'm not feeling it today. How about we change kings again? Yeah, not good. But yeah, so what are your thoughts, Ariel? What do you think of Vardanis and his reign? Yeah, it was okay. You know, not, not too much to comment on. Very frustrating because they, I feel like the intention was there. Yeah, he tried. Yeah. He tried to improve the empire, but the nobles just keep dragging it down to the depths of hell. Yeah. Because that's just what they do. Uh, so yeah. Okay. Then I guess we can get started with our rating of Vardanis the first. Our first category is final moments. How interesting was his death? Being brought to a hunt and murdered by the nobles on behalf of his adopted brother. 
it's it's not mm. bad. I think it it has Fine. merit. It's it's pretty mm. good. I like that it's probably his um, adopted brother that's going for the murder. I like that. Yeah, it's a hunt. He got that's tired always of waiting. Neat. Hunt murders are always fun. Yeah, hunts and feasts. Yeah, exactly. That's the main role of hunts and feasts: food or murder. Yeah, sometimes both. But yeah, so I'm thinking. Um, I'm not soup. Uh, eh, eh. I'm somewhere between a three and a four because I like the the brother element. I like the detail of the hunt, but we don't have too much detail to go about. Yeah, like it wasn't like, oh my god, this death I will remember yeah. for ages. It was like, nah, he was murdered. I think I'm aiming for a three. I think that's my status. How about that's you? fair. You're also sticking with a three. I will go for. No, go for a two. I wasn't that impressed. Okay, fair enough. So, with a three and a two, we get a 2.5 out of 10 for final moments. Our next category is battle hardness. How good was he at war and fighting? He has something on his side here. So, he started his reign basically with a civil war against his brother. He managed to Mm. charge back into the capital and retake the empire without much trouble. He won some battles against his brother in the First Civil War, attacking him in Bactria. That was the war that ended with them saying, oh no, the nobles are going to kill us both. Yeah. Then afterwards, he tries to attack his vassal king and fails, but that's mainly due to Roman threats. So don't know if you Mm -hmm. want to count that as fighting if he didn't actually fight. Mm. And then in the final civil war, it looks like he was mainly winning and Gatarzes was just relegated to the east. So, you know, Vardanis has won pretty much every battle we hear about. So he's done a good job. He didn't lose any last battle. He just got murdered. Well, you know, he lost the war. Yeah, but still, if you get murdered and lose the war... By getting murdered. I don't think that detracts from your fighting skill. Nah, yeah, It detracts from your success, definitely, but... I think for fighting, he won a lot of battles. I'm he did well. yeah. I think he did a reasonably good job. I don't know if uh, I'm hovering around five because it was good. There's nothing to write home about, but that mm-hmm. might also just be because we don't have the sources. You know, he won every battle he fought. Yeah, that's always a problem when there's just not that much information, so it's like not that impressive. Yeah. I think I might actually go for a six because he base. No, five. Because he fought in two civil wars, he was winning, but he didn't basically win them. If he had won two civil wars, then yes, six. But he was basically winning, which does not count. It's not the same. So, yeah, I think I'm going to stick with a five. That's not how winning works. As we have learned from Hannibal. It doesn't matter if you're the better strategist or if you're the better war hero. Mm -hmm. Like... I mean, it does matter a little bit, but, you know, if in the end you lose, then eh. So are you sticking with a five as well, or lower yeah, or down? I don't have really strong opinions on this one, so I will follow your criteria. Fair enough. So with a five and a five, he gets a 10 out of 20 for battle hardness. Our next category is scheminess. How good is he at plots and manipulations? Eh... <sighs> Uh, meh. meh. I don't know. It's not. It's nothing. We didn't have much of that. Nothing great. Right? He appoints Demonax as king of Armenia, sort of while the Romans' backs are turned. That wasn't like. You that know, isn't yeah, super that schemey. A little bit. Like they needed a 
king. I don't know what I mean, the Armenians was. could have just chosen their own king. <laughs> well, yes, but are we going to no, let them? No, of course not, but no, we could yeah, have let them. Exactly. Then as another bit of scheminess, he manages to, again, I'm not sure if you want to count it as scheminess, but he makes a deal with his brother at the end of the First Civil War to try and spite the nobles. Just because... Did they? Because, like, nothing came of that. I mean, it, it lasted for a few years. It lasted for some years that they managed to just keep stable. Like, it didn't last forever. Right, and both, like... Yeah, both sort of shared yeah, the empire yeah. for a bit. And True. you managed to hmm. clamp down on the nobles a little bit, so... But that wasn't Schemi. It was Schemi whoever sent the letters. Yeah, he didn't really do much of that. Who sent the letters? We don't know. Someone did. Oh, an so anonymous like source. Anonymous. Okay, okay, because I was like, is it gonna come up later? Or? Nope, just someone, presumably. Ooh, that is. Hmm. So maybe it was his brother that sent the letter saying, "Hey, maybe one of the brothers sent it to the others to sort things out." Mm. But you know, otherwise, scheminess. He doesn't really do much. He is just, you know, very diplomatic, but not much in schemes. Yeah. Yeah, I think just a zero. There's not much here that he did yeah. terribly. So I think with a zero and a zero, we can get a zero out of 20 for scheminess. Our next category is shock factor. How shocking was this man? He does sort of split the empire with his brother, which is a bit off. That's not great, not terribly normal. And... Then he backs down when the Romans threaten him from disciplining his own vassal, which is not a great look. Mm. I mean, it was so bad a look that a civil war started, so, you know, not ideal. But yeah, I think this is just relatively minor. He's trying to chastise the nobility, so maybe that could be worth a rounding up. But otherwise, it's pretty stable. I'm thinking just a token one for everything put together, but nothing much more. Yeah, it wasn't very shocking. I don't see it. I'm Just a not zero? Gonna give okay, any points. perfectly fine. No. So with a 1 and a 0, he gets a 1 out of 20 for shock factor. Our next category is Aaron Shine. How good was he at ruling the Empire? So where were we and where did we end up? So where were we is that Seleucia was in open rebellion. He took it back. That's nice. And he managed to take it back without bloodshed or destroying the city. He just made a deal with the rulers of the city. So that's mm -hmm. nice. He also managed to reconcile the Jewish and Greek populations of the empire without having yeah, another genocide. Huge. So that's yeah. neat. Good for him. He strengthened royal authority, which is always good. He briefly had a bit of Armenia, which is nice, but didn't last mm -hmm. too long. For a moment there. Yeah. He managed to stop a civil war by making a deal with his brother, which is wise and didn't have to continue going on forever mm. on the downside he had a war that lasted several years at the end of his life with his brother again mm -hmm. he tried to get one of his vassals to obey but was forced to retreat when the romans threatened him and then he gets murdered which is not great and loses the war yep. essentially I think he's doing a good job, but is under terrible circumstances. Hmm. What I have in my mind is a four, because I think the Empire is better off from certain points of view, but worse off from others. And it's worse off in the sense that the succession is messy and the nobles 
messed everything up and Iran is now kind of war-torn a little bit due to the civil war, which is never great. Royal authority isn't so high anymore, so I feel like things are getting a little bit worse, but he tried. I think he did a good enough job to get this far. So yeah, so I'm going to stick yeah, with Yeah, I mean, war. I don't think he did terribly, but I also don't think he did anything remarkable. And things are going kind of bad again. Not saying it's all his fault, right? But Yeah, it could have been. The novels. Uh, so yeah, so what uh, what score are you thinking about? Uh, we said that, like, what, that five was? Five is everything, everything it stays, stays as is. Uh, I was thinking like a three or a four. Yeah, I mean, he is trying, he is doing a good job, but ultimately loses. Those are the main ups and downs of his life. Mm. You could also put that he was generally winning the civil wars, which could maybe persuade you to bring it up. He was, he fought in these civil wars, but tended to be doing a good job at it and presumably limiting the damage that they did to a more specific area of the empire. So Fair. Yeah. I think I would still go with a three. Okay, fair enough. So with a four and a three, he gets a seven out of 20 for Aaron Shine. Our next category is face of faces. What do you think this man looked like? Oh, let me think. Okay, so Serial has finished their drawing and let me pick it up and describe it to you all. Okay. <laughs> it's very nice. I like it. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> So what we have is a man in the typical robe. He has the long flowy hair, the bushy beard, the diadem. He looks nice. And he is face palming quite hard. You can see the royal wart just on his forehead, reminding us that he's a member of the same dynasty. And he's saying, Look, I hate you, but I hate the nobles more. <laughs> in the classic scene where he makes a deal with his brother, because the nobles suck, so let's just try and screw yep. them over as much as possible. They're the worst people. Yeah. So thank you, Serial, very much for the drawing. If any of you want to <laughs> look at it, you can go to the episode notes in the description, or you can go to our podcast website and go to Serial's portrait gallery, or join Patreon and look at it on the Discord. And now let me show Serial what he actually looked like. They can tell us. Their opinion. So here he is. Describe this man. It's a coin. Like, it's a guy. literally, <laughs> yeah. could not differentiate this from the previous one we've had of this dynasty no. with the wart. Like, it's. I like the textures, but like, it's just another portrait on profile on a coin with the same kind of vibes. Yeah, it's always the same, has the same curly hair, same short crop beard. Royal wart. A one. Thick diadem. I give this a one. I'm going for um, a two because I like the fact that the wart's there, but yeah, I'm not terribly I impressed. mean, sure. So it gives you... It's a, one detail. Some sort it's of, like, oh, I know it's from this time period. Fair some enough. Some sort of indication that it might be one of like this family. Yeah, basically. I'm going to go for a two. You can go for a one. So together that gives us mm -hmm. a two and a one, which make a 0 0.8 out of five for face of faces. Our next category is lengthiness. How long do you think he reigned? Not super long. I mean, there were a lot of wars and stuff in between, but maybe five years? No, he did a little bit more than that. He ruled for eight years. 
Oh, okay. I was going to say 10, and then I was like, that seems like too much. Yeah, it was just not much detail, because the Romans don't care. Mm. But yeah, he reigned for eight years between 38 and 46, which gives him eight years divided by 10. That's 0.8 out of 5 for lengthiness. And that brings us to the total score, which is a 22.1 out of 100, which is fairly bottom of the pack, which places him between Darius III and Venones I, which tracks. It's mostly... Yeah. He did fine. It was nothing too riveting, but he was around at the time. So I guess that's good. He, will, he, he was certainly sure. one of the kings of Parthia. Which I think makes our next question pretty clear. Is mm. he average enough? Is he making a deal with his brother <laughs> enough? Is he having you to really deal to with for these, the nobles huh? enough to be called a Shahanshah? Or is he just a Shahanshah? Eh, I don't see it. I don't nah, care much. No. Sadly. He's just there. So, he, he tried. Yeah. He could have been a good king. But the nobles screw everything up. So... Yeah. Sorry, Vardanis, you'll have to head off into the wilderness. You can meet Artabanus Third and tell him that you tried to keep up his tradition, but it's the nobles again, yeah. Dad. It's the nobles again. Should have gotten rid of them. Yes, yeah. that would have been great, but alas. So yeah, that is the end of our 50th episode. We hope you had a good time. If you'd like to support us, we have some ways to do that. You can join our Patreon, where we have some extra episodes that are coming up. Notable elements are Mithridates the Great of Pontus and Themistocles, which just came out last oh, yeah, week, and that was a fun time. You get to learn more about Athens, and Alcibiades is coming up next month. If instead you'd rather not support us monetarily, that's fine, but we would appreciate if you could give us a review on your podcast app of choice so more people know that we exist and that you like us. So that's neat. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's all we have to say for this week. We hope you have a nice week and uh, we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Take care. Bye.